today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. were they afraid of was that suddenly their God was a whole lot more powerful than what they thought he was. He had much more control than what they thought that he had. And here these people of that community of the gatherings as they came and they saw the power working within this rabbi from Nazareth. They were afraid because they didn't understand that. They could deal with crazy. When Jesus frees a demoniac in Luke chapter 8, the people of the town were terrified. Their fear did not stem from the loss of livestock or the shock at seeing a once crazy man in his right mind. What terrified them was the power of God put on display. Pastor David teaches us in today's message that Jesus has glory, honor, and power over all things. At just the word of Christ's mouth, demons must flee. Roaring waves are silenced and people are saved and set free. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Close Encounters of the Demonic Kind. spiritual battles, these demonic attacks, this possession, they they care absolutely nothing about a person's status, about their popularity, about their influence. They care absolutely nothing about anything of their lives. What they want to do is come and destroy lives. They want to impact lives with evil and with perversion. And as a matter of fact, I I, I feel the devil delights in controlling people with power and with influence because then he brings down the best of the best. He is, after all, as Jesus described him in John chapter 8, he's a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's who Satan is. And his agents act under his control and for his desires. Jesus was very clear when he explained that the enemy is out to destroy He says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And this man, this man from the city, had had his very life stolen from him. All of his dreams, all of the plans, they've been killed by that overwhelming power of demonic possession. And as far as ever seeing normalcy, I believe that his hopes were gone for that. This is life for him. And that's what Satan does in people's lives. He speaks a lie into our lives saying that nothing will ever change. 
The way you are is the way it will always be. But beloved, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has come to set you free of that. And if there's issues in your life where the enemy comes and continually lies and continually brings you down and continually lays that weight and that burden that nothing will ever change, these same battles that you're battling today, the battles that you battled yesterday, those are the same ones you're going to battle tomorrow. No, Jesus has come to set the captive free. Secondly, I want you to see, it had been a long time. It had been a long time for this guy. He he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. He had long since been driven out of the city. He had long since been driven out of his senses. But as soon as these demonic forces saw Jesus, they panicked. They panicked as soon as Jesus stepped off of that boat on the land. I think it's pretty interesting that none of the religious rulers really recognized who Jesus was. I mean, he walked among them and he taught among them. They had seen his miraculous work and they still, they didn't believe who Jesus was. But the moment he stepped out of that boat onto that shore, those demons knew exactly who he was. It says that when he, the demoniac, saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him with a loud voice said, What am I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Right there, you ought to be able to see that the recognition and even the declaration of who Christ is, is not sufficient for salvation. Let me say that again. The recognition and even the declaration of who Christ is, is not sufficient for salvation. James tells us, you believe in God? Oh, you do well. Because even the demons believe, and they tremble. They tremble, but there is no commitment, no submission to him in their lives. You see, the recognition and the proclamation, that's only the beginning. True salvation comes is when you submit your life to him, when you allow Jesus Christ to come and take possession of your life. That's when salvation enters in. Not simply the recognition or the proclamation, but it's the truth of a heart that's being changed. When James says that the devils know who God is and they tremble, well, I believe at this day on that shore of Galilee that there was a whole lot of trembling going on as the very God-man stood before these demons. They saw Jesus, they recognized him, and they knew they were in big trouble. And although in Luke's writing, he, he speaks of the singular nouns and pronouns in reference to this man speaking. He says that when he saw Jesus, he cried out, What have I to do with you, Jesus? I beg you, do not torment me. I believe that at this point in time, these demons were responding in a unity, speaking in a single voice. But what we will see in a moment is that Jesus doesn't really respond to this man at all. His response is directly to the demons that are within the man. As a matter of fact, it would seem as though he had, he had already started dealing with the, with the demons, perhaps non-verbally in the spirit, perhaps even before he stepped off that boat that day. Look at verse 29. What does it say? It says that he, Jesus, had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Mark adds to it that he also cut himself with stones. 
No doubt there was a supernatural strength in this man due to the multiple demons living within him. We read of this demonic strength in the book of Acts. You remember a situation where, again, the apostles had been casting out demons. Then there was uh, seven sons of Sceva, the chief priest, that said, well, that's kind of cool. They got the power to cast out demons. Let's go try this. And so there was a man that had a single demon in him. And the seven sons of Sceva came up to him and says, hey, we exercise you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. You remember that story, this one man and seven seven others come in to exercise the demon? Well, that demon didn't get exorcised, he got exercised. He, he, he came upon them and he says, hey, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who in the world are you? And suddenly that demon, that one man filled with the power of that demon, jumped on those seven others and beat them to the point that they fled out of the house, and I love this, naked and beaten up. The power, the power of that. You see, I believe that demonic possession does give someone supernatural strength. I believe that our police force runs into this on a continual basis, dealing with individuals that are just totally beyond themselves. To where, yeah, we wonder why, why are the police so, uh, you know, overwhelming on situations? Because they don't know what they're running into most of the time. I, they may not believe in demonic possession. Maybe some of the police force don't, but I believe that they've experienced the power of it many times. But none of these things bothered Jesus. He knew that their power, that the demonic power was limited, but he also knew that his power was limitless. And he has all authority over all kingdoms and powers. And so Jesus asked him there in verse 30, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And again, Mark tells us that the demons responded, My name is Legion, for we are many. Verse 31 here in Luke says, And then they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Now a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter in, and he permitted them. First of all, looking at the name, the, the name of the, that the demons gave Jesus was also a number. Uh, to, to say that you are legion brings in mind the Roman forces. A legion in the Roman forces was considered to be about 6,000, but could be less, but it could be as many as 6,000. Again, in Mark's gospel account of this story, Mark tells us that there were about 2,000 pigs that were there on the hillside. So were there 6,000 demons in the man? Were there 2,000 demons in the man? Were there something less or more than that? All we do know is that there were many, many demons within that man. How many demons can an individual have within them? We don't know. Mary Magdalene got relieved of seven demons within her. But what a darkness had to be over this man. It would be horrible enough to be controlled by one demon, amen? to have control of your thought processes, to have control of your attitudes and your brain and and your actions, to have that kind of supernatural power controlling you. And this man had multiple demons within him. How hopeless a situation it had to be for this guy. However, whatever amount of demons there were in the man, they cried out to Jesus that he wouldn't send them to the abyss that's the place also known as the bottomless pit. It's the it's a place of torment that was spoken about up in verse 28. I beg you, do not torment me. 
This is the place referred to all throughout Scripture as that final destination of the devil and his angels. And you do know that's what demons are. They are the fallen angels that are again at Satan's bidding to be able to do his work for him. So the question again comes, how many, how many demons did this man have in him? I believe that he had enough. There was enough to destroy his life. Verse 33 says that the demons went out of the man. They entered the swine and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. And one would think that the people of the community, they'd be all excited about this guy that had one time had possibly been a friend, a community, uh, a neighbor, uh, perhaps a family member. You would think that they'd be all excited. Hey, he's healed. He's delivered. That's not the case, is it? Here's a fellow human being that was controlled by these demonic spirits, and now he's free. And yes, they carried more about the pigs than they did about the man. Verse 34 says that when those who fed him saw what had happened, they fled and they told the city and the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. How long ago had that been? How long had it been since they had seen him clothed and in his right mind? A long time, Luke tells us. And Luke tells us, and they were afraid. What were they afraid of? I believe that they were afraid of a power that they didn't know anything about. I don't know about you, but I think I would be more fearful of what these demons had done to this man than to look and see that this man was now sane in his right mind and clothed. But for them... They were afraid. It goes on to say, They also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding regions of the gatherings asked him to depart from them. Why? Because they were seized with great fear. Beloved, you need to understand, this goes back to the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus spoke to the waves and the wind, said, peace be still, and it calmed down. And what does it say about the disciples? They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Is that suddenly their God was a whole lot more powerful than what they thought he was. He had much more control than what they thought that he had. And here, these people of that community of the gatherings, as they came and they saw the power of, working within this rabbi from Nazareth. They were afraid because they didn't understand that. They could deal with crazy. They could deal with, with wildness. But a power that's beyond them, the power of God working, they were afraid. They wanted him to leave, and so he got into the boat, returned. Here the man was, the one who, who couldn't be controlled just moments ago. Here he is seated, the one who had run around the hillside and tombs naked, and here he is clothed, the one who had lost his mind to the control of these demonic forces, and here he is now, he's in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid because they couldn't or they wouldn't understand what had just happened. And when those who had seen the whole thing told the others what had happened, you would think that the community would say, Hey, Jesus! We've heard stories about you. We're glad that you're finally on our shore. 
We're finally glad that you've come to share about the kingdom of God. We're glad that you're here to deliver us, to heal us, to set us free. But that wasn't the case. They weren't interested in the things of God. They were too fearful of the circumstances due to the economic loss that they had just had. They were too fearful of this rabbi that has these unknown powers, even over the demonic spirits. And beloved, we wonder why people don't respond to the gospel today. We share and we speak the gospel to them, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. No, you you take your Jesus, that, that might be fine for you. I don't want it. In essence, they're saying the same thing. These people of this community said, no, be gone from here. We don't want any of that. We wonder how can you how can you miss the reality and the truth of what Christ has done and and the power of God working through Christ? No, thank you, no, thank you. I don't want any of that. We wonder how can they be so so blind to these things? Again, they were so concerned and focused on other things, they simply wanted Jesus to go because Jesus was going to change their life if he stayed. He had already destroyed all these pigs. He was going to change their life. And I don't want my life changed. Thank you very much. I'm fine just the way that I am. Don't rock my boat, Jesus. Maybe I'll recognize who you are, but I'm not going to commit myself. You see, for these here, they saw the power of God. They had the very presence of God. And they didn't want him. Well, as Jesus got in the boat ready to return, verse 38 says that now the man from whom the demons had been departed, they, they begged him, or begged him that he might be with him. In other words, he said, let me go with you. I don't want to stay here anymore. I want to go with you, Jesus. But what did Jesus say? Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way, and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. The people of the community rejected Jesus, and they simply wanted him gone. But that man who had been freed from the demonic spirits, again, he didn't want to stay there. He wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus realized that since this community wouldn't receive him, perhaps they would receive the one and the word of that one who was a part of them. He was part of that community. He was a man of that city. He was the one in which the Spirit of God had worked so powerfully. Some had said that since that area they were raising so many pigs that it was very possibly a Gentile area, nothing but Gentiles, and maybe this man Legion. And the interesting thing, we don't know his real name, do we? I wonder if he kept the name of Legion or if he changed. I think I I wouldn't want that name anymore. I think I would be the one that says... uh, my name is Joe, formerly known as Legion. Here, this man, he stays there. And if it's a Gentile area, you know what? He becomes the first Gentile evangelist to be able to share the hope of the gospel. Luke is very clear when he declares that this man then, he then went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And isn't that what the call in our lives is supposed to be? For us simply to go our way and proclaim what great things Christ has done for our lives. Maybe we didn't have a demon exercise from our lives. But if we've come to Christ, we've we've come from being controlled by the evil one. 
living in and for that kingdom of darkness, to now being made free and living our life for the kingdom of God's glory. Maybe maybe you weren't cast away from society seeking to destroy your own life. But you were separated from life. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But Jesus came and He gave you new life. He gave you eternal life. Some live their lives controlled by outside forces. Forces that of this world, things of this world, and forces of Satan's realm. And they never see deliverance because they never want to let go of what they think is benefiting them. When all the time the thing that they think is benefiting them is actually destroying them. This man now had a testimony, didn't he? He had a powerful testimony. To be able to go and say, hey, you guys knew how I was. Let me share with you what happened with me. I believe that man they would listen to because they had had to deal with him for a long time. And he was faithful to continue to speak that testimony to the people of what had taken place in his life. And as I said, maybe you haven't had that much. Maybe there wasn't a demon taken out. But you have come to the light of the hope of the gospel if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you claim yourself as a Christian this morning, you have a testimony in your life of what God has done in your life. That once you were lost, now you're found Once you were blind, but now you see. The reality and the simplicity of that truth in each one of our lives gives us something to share with a lost and a dying world. People like that community that may not ever come into a church to come to Jesus, but that you and I can touch in our everyday walk of life. The people that we know within our family, the people that we know within our neighborhood, the people that we know where we work, just to share the simplicity. We don't need to go and say, hey, man, you better turn or you're going to burn. You better get right or you're going to left. We don't need to come in with that kind of an attitude. We can come in with the attitude of the truth of the hope that's within us. The peace that's within us, even though literally all hell is breaking loose all around us and we don't know how to deal with it. But you know what? In the midst of this, I'm just trusting God. Though all the forces of Satan are breaking against me, I'm going to stand in the peace of God. Beloved, that's a testimony that you can share with the world around you because the world doesn't have anything to stand on. And when their world begins shaking, they don't know what to do. Do you have a testimony for Christ? Do you yourself have a testimony of what Christ has done in your life? Then you and I ought to be like that man to go our way and proclaim throughout the whole city the great things that Jesus has done for us. The simplicity of the gospel working in us. Beloved, if you don't share it, how's a lost and dying world going to know it? Beloved, if we don't share it as we go on our way through life, how are those who are so anti-church ever going to hear the truth? It's because of our lives and because of the testimony of our lips. It says, this hope is in me. Not because of me. Not because of my ability. Not because of my strength. Let's face it, this demonic guy, there there was nothing he could do to change his life. But Jesus changed it radically. And he was willing to share that with the world that he lived in.
How about you this morning? Do you really and truly have a testimony in your life? Do you really and truly have a word in your life that speaks of the truth of what God has done in your life? We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more and more like you.